So welcome to Ask for Weight Live. And today I'm very thrilled to be joined by the legend that is Charlie Hodgson. Uh, hi, Charlie. How are you doing? Good morning. How are you? Yeah, yeah, not too bad. I'm all right. Thank you. Good. So uh, Charlie um, has quite a special record insofar as he's scored the most points of any rugby player in uh, Premiership history. Uh, I think you've probably scored three and a half thousand points altogether, haven't you? Something like that. I think that's I think that's total points. I think in the yeah. Premiership itself, it's probably slightly less than that. But um, I think that's just a result of being slightly older and being able to stick around for quite a long period of time. I've had 16 years playing the game, so very fortunate to get through that many years and to play for two great clubs and mm. uh, and to have those results was is it's nice. I mean, I don't necessarily reflect too much on them, but yeah, it's uh, it's a nice nice thing to have. Yeah, one of the things I have, I've obviously followed your career um, very much while you were playing. Um, I hadn't actually appreciated you were born in Halifax and the Yorkshire connection. Um, yeah. So, um, what what made you follow Halifax, Halifax rugby league team? Uh, to be honest, it was the so it was the mid eighties when they it was eighty six, eighty seven seasons, two different seasons. They ended up at uh, Wembley for the Challenge Cup final. Uh, one year they they beat St Helens. I think it was nineteen eighteen. They beat St Helens, and then the following year we lost quite convincingly to Wigan, which is the final that we all mm-hmm. went to as a family. Okay. Uh, but the year, but uh, and I was only what was I then? I was about six or seven years old. But oh, right. Um, it just it, it kickstarted this interest in the club. Um, they had a really good following in the town. I must admit. Um, uh, I suppose everybody from those northern towns that it, there was no rugby union to watch. It was, it was rugby league or it was all, or it was football. Um, oh. And Halifax, Halifax had a football team, Halifax Town, but they weren't great. No. So for for us, the, the the natural thing was to try and support this team that was doing unbelievably well. Maybe glory supporters initially, but we stuck with them. We travelled across the north to watch them um, for many years, uh, and just just had this appreciation for the game. I really loved watching the game. And loved sort of being surrounded by that atmosphere every single week up at Thrum Hall. And tell me a bit about your parents. What do, where do they? What are their roots, and what do they do? So they they're both retired uh, now, but uh, my father was a local businessman in Halifax. He okay. had um, had his own insurance company. He's an insurance broker for many years. Um, and my mum was a teacher initially, and then opened up her own cookery school, um, also local. But um, so, yeah, and they're still up there. They're still happy there. My brother and sister are still up there in Halifax. They've not left the bubble. Um, and I'm the only one that's escaped. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so they, I have a very lucky upbringing, very fortunate upbringing, I guess. I didn't want for anything. Um, uh, when it came to my own rugby development, uh, my my parents were brilliant. My dad was brilliant. Took me all over the place to to get to games that I needed to be at. So very very lucky uh, in that sense, and very um, yeah, very fortunate. I think you went to Bradford Grammar School, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so that private school again. So oh, it was a private put, school, was it? Yeah. So my father put all three of us through private school. Um, okay. Which was which is amazing. I think I, I look back and for my opportunities from a rugby point of view, I think I probably. Had I not been at that school, I'm not sure I would have had the same opportunity that I, if I'd gone to say the local, the local school that was just up the road from me. And did you play rugby at grammar school? Yeah. So from the age of, I joined the junior school, um, 
and from the age of 10 uh we were playing rugby like three four times a week really um it was it was a very 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 um it was a very rugby orientated school when i joined actually the so when i was in the first year of the second of the secondary school the first team won the daily mail cup uh the national competition twice i think and we were down at twickenham watching them supporting them so that really spiked my interest as well of seeing seeing these guys who were 18 years old playing on the in the biggest stadium was incredible um but rugby was was just a massive part of of life at bradford um i've got some very good friends that played rugby with uh, we still keep in touch with each other uh, still pretty close and um and that all came from that all came from rugby really we had a like i say we had a very close group but um it was rugby that forged those helped forge those friendships and we always a fly half uh to be honest yes and no really i think uh, well, certainly when i was sort of 9 10 11 years old I don't really think you're in any position at all. I think you just <laughs> you just around the field and exploring and experimenting and seeing where it takes you. And I, and I um, for the club that I was playing for actually in Halifax, there was also another player who was a fly half. So we kind of we kind of mixed and matched. We played a little bit of centre, a little bit of fly half, and but then over time, as I started to develop my school career, from from a school point of view, I became fly half from 12, 13, 14, and and that was it, and just developed it there really. So. But a lot of my learning experiences came from, uh, I suppose, firstly playing it in that in that position, but also going back to the rugby league connection. From my, I guess, weeks and weeks and months and and years of of, of watching rugby league from behind the post and watching what they all did, that was kind of where my my learning came as well. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Obviously, I've as I said to you earlier, I've um, I spent my my whole life sort of mixing. A love of rugby league with rugby union with my father being a, a rugby league player um, and I think I remember going to the Twickenham Sevens um, probably about this would be about 1985 or something uh, and uh, I, I remember there were, I think there were two rugby league teams that played in the Sevens and it was just uh, really noticeable how much more skillful they were than uh, the rugby union players at that time. Mm. Well I guess I guess the games are been certainly rugby league had been professional for a lot longer hadn't it yeah and rugby union um is only into the into the mid 90s where it actually became professional and things started to change so yeah there's you could definitely see there's a there's a big difference in the in the team in the, the abilities yeah i think yeah you would have been <coughs> you would probably have been in the vanguard of the generation that sort of dragged rugby union i think i think you could argue now that rugby union players are the fittest sportsmen in the world with a possible exception of Tour de France cyclists, I think. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, for, for all over capability, you've got some players who can literally do everything. Um, I, don't, I don't know whether... I don't know, what, I don't know who would be classed as the fittest in the world. I guess, like you, like you say, you, are, you have to have this ability to be able to be fast, be strong, be athletic... Be agile, all these, all these different things, and obviously physical to be able to cope with the demands of the game. So yeah, the game has definitely moved on. I mean, uh, you look back at videos when I first started playing, and some of the internationals that you see. I mean, the footage is incredible when you watch it, really, and how the game has moved on, how defenses have become stronger, how people become bigger and more athletic, and um, it's a, it's a much 
greater game of chess than it ever was trying to break these defences down because they're so strong. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, going back to sort of the history of rugby, I think um, my, my defining moments as a, as a youngster would be watching the likes of Phil Bennett uh, and Gareth Edwards and, of course, that wonderful uh, Barbarians against New Zealand match in Cardiff with that uh, amazing try in the corner. Although yeah. it was a forward pass. Of course, that's, that's, one, <laughs> that's one of the things today. The video ref would have disallowed it, wouldn't he? Yeah, exactly. No, he would. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, it was very frustrating in those days because... Um, England, you know, England were perennial underachievers. Uh, I was, I was, I don't know, fortunate and unfortunate. I, I spent six years in Cardiff, uh, starting off at university and then did my articles there. Uh, and it was only, it was only actually in 1980 when we won the Grand Slam uh, that England actually beat Wales at rugby. So I used to spend the whole, whole time having the piss taken out of me by Welsh people who <laughs> d- delighted in calling me Wurzel uh, and things like that. So um, it, wasn't, it wasn't a lot of fun being a, an Englishman in Cardiff yeah, in I those bet. days. I bet. Yeah, well, thankfully England had their time, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. And certainly the, um, the 1980 Beaumont team um, ended up playing some really good rugby. Uh, mm. but, but we, 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 so you, I think you started off playing for Old Bodleians first, is that right? Your first junior team? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so I was nine years old. Um, my dad took me up there. He was, he was in. Well, one of his friends actually said, "Look, would Charlie be interested in coming up?" And I was like, "Yeah, give it a go." It was one of those where I was unbelievably, um, I was quite shy as a kid, and uh, mm. so I think I, we turned up, and then I was like, "No, nah, I'm not going in. I'm, I'm staying in the car." So we sort of sat there for a little bit, umming and ahhing whether go in, and then Dad just took me home. Didn't go anywhere near. We did the same again the following week. We went back. Uh, again, I was refusing to go in, and I think my dad was just like, "Nat, we're going in." So he just dragged me into the club, and then, the re- and the rest is history. I, I actually played for the opposition on my. That yeah, first, I saw uh, that. Yeah, yeah. One of the first, um, my first games was playing for the opposition, but um, just loved it. Just really took to it um, from the very beginning, and uh, those formative years of of watching, of watching rugby league. They uh, you talked about sort of those Welsh legends. That the those formative years of me watching rugby league. It was kind of where all my um, all these sort of role models came from. It wasn't from Rugby Union because they didn't really watch it. There was a kind of, yeah. you get to watch it on a Sunday afternoon at Rugby Special as it was. Yeah, yeah. But uh, the other, the rest of the time was just watch, going across the north and watching Rugby League and certainly Wigan in the heyday was, uh, it, was it was incredible to watch. Did you, um, did you have any representative honours for England when you were a schoolboy? Yeah, I played for, well, I selected for England in the 16s, but I actually broke my wrist in the first training session, so I uh, unfortunately missed out on a few games of, of that year. I then went to, I did play for England under 18s two years later, and, and you kind of have to go through that process of county and north of England leading mm. up to that build-up. But um, So, yeah, so I got to England schoolboys, um, but even... Even a look back now and go, actually, there weren't really the well, there certainly weren't the academies that you see now, nowadays, mm. and that this sort of pipeline of, of talent coming through from 13, 14, 15 years old. Academies were pretty much non existent. They were, they had a term for them, they had somebody running them, but it was basically if you get picked up by an academy, it's, it's a decision of one person only, whether they like you or whether they don't like you. And even though I played England schoolboys, there wasn't there wasn't an opportunity for me to join any professional club at that stage. So, so I went off to university and 
and and like all, like the rest of my peers at school, I, I went off to Durham and 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 started on that journey of of, of, of um, higher education. So, what sort of people would have been in the um, under 18s team with you that we would know? Um, do you know what? Not many. Not many continue to play. Uh, okay. Yeah. Let me have a think. Yeah, so it's difficult actually because there aren't that many players that will have played. A guy called Gerald Arasso was on the wing. He was at Saracens for a little bit. Um, uh, it's really it's difficult actually. Yeah, not that many players not many. came through. Not many came through. And, and just to say, Johnny Wilkinson would be a couple of years older than you, would he? That's right. Yeah, he. Yeah, two. Yeah, two. I think two school years, two or three school years. So how, what, what, what got the attention of Sale? What, what attracted Sale to you and how did that all happen? So, so as I said, I went off to university, went off to Durham yeah. and um, played for the university there, which was brilliant. I actually had a great time in that first year. But it was, it was during that first year that I was playing another representative match playing for Yorkshire under 20s. Uh, and at that stage, you have the county championship, both at under 20 level and at senior level. So we were playing in, this, in the county championship. And... Uh, the academy manager at the time at Sale Sharks was watching one of our games. I didn't know about this, but he'd come to watch the scrum half that I was playing with. I'd known this guy for a long time. I played with him through Yorkshire yeah. for, as a schoolboy. So I'd, we played against each other for years. So I, I knew that he was um, he was a talented player, but I didn't know that he was being watched. But I, it was just on this occasion that I happened to have a good game. Um, I was in the right place at the right time. And off the back, uh, they invited me to go and do pre-season training with Sale Sharks. So sandwiched in between my first year and my second year at univer of university, I went across to Manchester to, um, to do some pre-season training with them. And all, all along, I thought that that was going to be create that connection with the professional club, see where it takes me, finish my studies, and then go back to, uh, and then um, finish my studies and hopefully have this opportunity at the end of it. But actually, things went better than expected in that summer so much so that they asked me to sign a contract at the end of it and I had to make the decision, do I go back to university and continue or do I transfer down to Manchester and, and, um, and, and start that journey of professional sport? Um, and I, I chose a rugby opportunity, obviously. And so signed my professional contract August 2000. I was playing for the first team, October 2000. And actually 13 months later, I was being capped for England November 2001. So my... My career progression trajectory was so quick and so steep. I kind of look back at it now and go, oh, I'm not, I'm not really sure I was too ready for that. You get swept up in the moment, but actually, in the whole scheme of things, where I come from and where I was, it all happened very, very quickly. Yeah, was your first match for England the one you scored 44 points? That's right, yeah. So it was, it was against Romania, and it was sandwiched between playing Australia and South Africa in an autumn series in 2001. Uh, I remember... Uh, playing against South Africa, actually, the, I think it might have been the first week. Uh, Johnny came in at half time, and he was he was in bits. Like he'd been absolutely destroyed by the by the Saffirs. They mm. killed him. They'd hurt him a lot. And he was, I could hear him screaming in pain on the physio bed. And I was, mm. I was sitting there thinking, Jesus, I feel so out of my depth right now. If I have to go on the field, I'm going to be terrible. And of course, you get that unbelievable imposter syndrome when you're in any situation. I think, but that was that was heightened for me. Because uh, it was a, it was a real sort of moment of realize, realization of going. This is actually where I, where I am at the moment. <laughs> in, the, in the change of the Twickenham in front of eighty thousand people is a 
is a, a, quite a big thing at that stage. But I didn't get on. Johnny carried on the game. We went on and won, which was amazing. And then my opportunity came the following week against Romania, uh, which, I mean, you wouldn't ever, you wouldn't see many games like that nowadays against any opposition. It's just teams who, so even second, third tier teams, well, you, you won't even play a first tier against third tier team, but um, the the gap has closed somewhat. There's still a lot, long way to go, but the gap has closed and you wouldn't necessarily see 134-0 drubbing mm. of another team. Um but just an incredible, incredible day. One that I, I won't ever forget. Um, a nice, and certainly a nice introduction to international rugby. It was a relatively easy introduction to international rugby. And then following week, I was back on the bench against Australia. So, or South Africa, I think it was Australia. So, um, so yeah, nice, a nice introduction. But um, it, it, yeah, like I say, it was a bit more of a realization as to I'm actually in this now. Or this is. This is bigger than I ever expected or um, imagined at that stage. Yeah, fate's a fate's a, a, a wonderful and terrible thing as well. Um, you know, I look back and I think about some of the great players that were, you know, dominant in the England team prior to the two thousand and three World Cup. You know, you had probably I would say England's best player, in my opinion, other than Wilkinson in the two years before that would have been Dan Luger. Mm. Um, you know, and he was, he, uh, you know, it was quite often you'd see, I remember there's a really good test series against Africa away where you had yeah. Austin Healy playing on one wing and Dan Luger on the other. Um, and, and they were, you know, they were a very different sort of combination, you know, very, I think it was one thing about Woodward. He wasn't uh, afraid to, um, to pick great players, was he? No. Um, and probably a lot of coaches. I mean, I'm not sure how many coaches would have picked you and Wilkinson together, for instance. You know, that was quite a brave thing to do, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, well, I think I think he'd obviously tried to learn what the lessons from the previous year. So 2002, Johnny got an absolute battering from Serge Betson playing against France. And I think he realised that if, if we're going to continue in this way, we need to have somebody else who can provide a kicking passing option as mm. well. So he threw me into it the following year against France. Uh, um, yeah, was it France or Wales? I think it was France at home. Then we played Wales away. Either I can't which way which way round it was, but I played twelve. It was just quite a, quite a strange experience. Never played centre really well in my professional life. That is for sure. Mm. And then expect to play with Johnny. I, I did. I I found it hard. I must admit. Like Clive gave me a phone call at the beginning of the week saying, "I'm going to play you," and I was thinking, "Shit." <laughs> You're picking me against Ehenna Johnny, and um, and then he was like, "No, I'm not <laughs> picking you." To-. And he's like, "No, I'm uh, I'm picking you together." And I was like, "All oh, right." So how's that going to work? And he obviously explained the whole situation and why, and it made sense. But I think, it, and it was a brave call. It was certainly a brave call from to do from from to do so. I mean, considering I'd never played out of that position before, it was about trying to create opportunities for the both of us, and not just not just one being con- complete control, um, which which can um, which can create problems if you've got two real dominant characters in those positions. Yeah, it's interesting, really. I don't know what you'd say of this. I, I mean, I would have said that uh, probably Johnny Wilkinson was more suited to playing in the centre than you were. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, who knows? Like, uh, we were just very different players. We, we did different things well. And we had our own strengths, 
and and I think it, I think for me at times I got a little bit frustrated that we were often compared because for me mm. there, was, there wasn't really a comparison. It was we are just different players and that's the way we work and that's the way mm. we operate. Johnny was very strong defensively and I, and that was something that I I knew in my heart of hearts I was never going to be like that. Um, so uh, for me it was it was much more of an attack orientated type of play and. And, and those two traits in them, two different traits in themselves, are always going to always going to create two different players. Um, but uh, but Johnny, I guess from from looking at whether he could play twelve or whether he was more of a twelve, I don't know. I think, geez, he had an unbelievable career playing fly half, didn't he? So I mean, to say that he could have been a centre as well uh, might have been his better position. Who knows? But um, he certainly he certainly had the ability to do that if if need be. So how how gutting was it to get injured before the World Cup in two thousand and three? I think it's I think it's just disappointing because you know you're going to be out for a long period of time. Actually, if if I'm honest, I I was still I think in this um, bubble of uh, I'm still trying to break into the team. I'm still trying to embed myself within the team. Mm. So there was no part of me that went oh, you've missed out on a World Cup place here and you've missed out on an MBE and a World Cup winner's medal and all that sort of stuff. Because for me, there was no... Uh, playing for England at any time, um, but especially at this moment, there is no God-given right that you're going to get picked or get selected. No. So I never I never walked away from that thinking, if only, um, and being a little more, more annoyed than I would be. I was simply annoyed because I was injured for eight months. Um, and myself and Austin Healy, actually, we went to America together for a month in June of that year to try and get fit. We both had knee injuries, went to see the specialist rehab guy in, in America, which was amazing, with the hope that we would both be fit in time. But unfortunately, neither has made it. And um, I think Austin's probably more bitter than I, I am. Uh, and he because he'd played 40, 50, uh, 60 times by that stage. So... He was a massive integral part of that team where I was just beginning my journey, really. Yeah, although I don't think I don't think he would have got into the team, would he? To be fair, you know, with um, Cohen and Robinson playing with Lucy, you know, as magnificent yeah. back three. Yeah, I mean, I think I think nowadays, if you look at look at an England squad and the makeup of it, you'd probably put somebody like Austin in because he has that capability to play everywhere. Mm. And, and I think. What was what was an amazing talent for Austin was perhaps the downfall of his selection for England because he because because he wasn't a specialist and because he could do everything very very well he's incredible mm. but because he wasn't a specialist then would would he be picked over somebody that was and of course he wasn't so it's a real shame for him I really feel for him because mm. uh, I, I learned a lot about Austin and the way he was and the way he trained and the type of person he was when we were in America together and actually unbelievably competitive and, and a brilliant person to be around and, and I, I suppose I feel for him that he wasn't he wasn't selected in the end so you, you you watched the World Cup on telly did you like the rest of us yeah I did yeah I was at home in my flat and sale with a few mates from uh, from school and um, yeah sat and watched it with a drink in hand coming to the end of my rehab oh yeah I re well I, re I remember playing spoof all day long at uh, on that day and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not losing a single, not losing a single hand, which was not very good for my liver, I have to say. So how do you manage that? <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know what you think. I mean, I, I'd have to say the um, 
the refereeing of Andre Watson in the in the final was probably the the, the most disgraceful piece of refereeing in history. I don't know whether you'd, whether you'd agree with that. I don't I don't necessarily look back on that bit too much to be honest. I mean, I've and I've heard a story that Steve Thompson tells around um, the referee saying, "I'll put my mortgage on making a bad decision" or something like that. And then I think Steve Thompson says something along the lines, "Well, you must have a really shit house." Um, I think it was yeah. I think it. I, I can say I, I don't. I don't really remember it too much um, from that side of things, but the fact that we came through it ultimately is 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 the history, the bit that we we enjoy talking about, isn't it? I think probably. Um, so just to get your view on this, because um, you know you would be one of the few people I would be able to talk to about this. Um, probably one of my favourite England performances of all time would be uh, Ireland away in the 2003 Grand Slam uh, yeah. series. And I can remember, um, one of, my mates and I used to go to a, to, to, to a pub and we used to call it drinking your enemy. Uh, so, you know, so you'd have Irish whiskey, you know, for instance, you know, uh, yeah. uh, and this sort of thing. Um, and I can remember more than any player uh, ever before or since in that particular match, I don't know if you remember at the time, he used to get stingers quite often and, uh, and of course he was, you could actually argue by today's standards, sometimes his tackling was quite reckless. Um, you know, he, 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 these days you've got all this thing about, you know, no arm tackling and all that, you know, and he often used to do that. And I can remember um, actually almost screaming at the television in the pub and saying, get off. You know, I was, I was so, I, he, you know, I, I was, as a fan, that man had given everything to, to us and I would rather have lost than him carry on you know it was quite a I remember it now it was quite an emotional moment actually yeah I think that's just the the type of person he was and is just threw himself into everything and he left everything on the field and would give everything he could for the team and mm. when you've got people like that in your team then you 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 know you're in a good place so um, I think I'm right in saying it was it, it, uh, that after the World Cup, uh, Johnny Wilkinson got injured quite soon afterwards, I think. Um, and then you you basically replaced him, I think that's right. And didn't you then have a run of 18 consecutive matches or something? Yeah, I'm not sure what that was. But uh, yeah, I think I think Johnny probably was even like, like even in the build-up to that, that World Cup, I think he was probably struggling with his neck and the stingers that he was getting anyway. So um, perhaps it was... Um, fate that that was going to happen for him and he's going to have a long period of time out unfortunately for him it gave me an opportunity to play uh, I, I'd, I'd still say even after what well, that's three years down the line of me being picked for England in 2001 2004 came round and I'd still say I was pretty inexperienced then I'd, I'd had 10 minutes here 15 minutes here missed out a lot through injury had basically a year out through injury so um, it was a it was a a really interesting time actually because the team had changed a lot as well the management had changed mm. the team had changed that dynamic kept changing over and over again week to week could have a different centre partnership could have a different scrum half to play with um, and I think the, the team was definitely going through a transitional period which perhaps probably took longer than it ever needed to um, which is unfortunate really I kind of look at it and go I wish I wish it was more settled because I think one of the one of the beauties of 
what Clive did with his team was that he kept them together. Regardless of, I think even looking at, you'd have to look at form sometimes of the way some of the players played for the clubs. You're like, really, does he deserve to play for England at the moment? But Clive had such um, strong belief in these players because he'd known he's he's seen and seen them do it do it before. That regardless of of whether they were actually playing well for the club or not, they were an integral part of that England team. So he kept them together, and they became this really really strong outfit this really cohesive outfit because they understood each other and they knew each other very well and obviously by the time they won 2003 they'd, they'd amassed sort of 50 60 70 caps together and mm. they really understood they had this club environment in in the international uh, in international colors which is actually really hard to reproduce um and all this and i guess all the successful international teams well the all blacks being the main one their team doesn't really change too much through injury, of course. But actually, once the players are in, they've got to do something really, really bad to mess it up. And of course, that they have to be incredible to get into the All Blacks in the first place. And I think um, the one thing that I look back on, and I think um, from that for, through that period of my England career, definitely was, I think the team just kept changing. It always changed from week to week. Um, through selection, through injury, and it was very hard to really to gain some sort of, um, I suppose, cohesion, mm. collaboration, whatever you want to call it, um, because because people are used to doing different things. They're used to playing with different players. They've sometimes they've got their own agendas. So it 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 um, I mustn't I must say it was an incredible time, a very very fortunate time for me to be able to do that and have that run of games. But also perhaps some of the um, some of the most stressful periods of my of my just playing career in general, because there were times when I felt properly lost, and times when I felt really in control, but also times when I felt really lost as well. Now, did you feel at the time that you were sort of unfairly picked on because uh, you weren't Johnny Wilkinson? I don't necessarily think it's about unfairness. I think, um, like I said to you before, I think people are making comparisons for the wrong reasons. If, if you, but unfortunately, because of the positions that we played in, they're naturally going to have, it's naturally going to create that conversation. Um, I think you can look at it being unfair or not. I don't know. I don't think it's unfair. Uh, there were times in games when I didn't kick very well. There were times when I'd missed a few kicks at goal. Uh, I might have hit, say, four out of six instead of six out of six, and therefore it's it's a bad result in, in lots of people's eyes. But um, was it unfair? I, to be honest, I don't I don't I don't really reflect on it being as unfair. I think um, I I'm quite matter of fact about the whole thing. I I did at the time what I what I could to the best of my ability. There were times when it didn't go well, and there were times when it did go well. And international rugby for me was never one of those things where I really, um, really took to it like a duck to water. It was I, I found it a proper struggle every single time I played, and that that is the case for some people, and it's not the case for others. And that's just my reflection of, of where where that was for me in my career. And if I go to back to start of our conversation about me being capped at 21 years old, I personally think that was too early. And I think if I had my time again, I probably wouldn't. And I could choose when I was going to be capped. I'd probably get capped at, say, 30, 31, 32, uh, or perhaps late 20s, where actually I was in much better um, control 
mentally in a mental space about understanding the game than I was when I was 21, 22 years old. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, without getting too um, personal or, or or whatever, I mean, um, when you so probably in the two thousand and five se- season was probably you were probably um, criticised quite a lot for um, for um, your success rate kicking wise. Why? Why? Yeah. Why do you think that was? You know, what what, what did did you lose your confidence? Was was it? What was it? You know, it was a it was a mixture of things of. Um, where do I start? Uh, it was a mixture of, of one, not being in control. So I talked about being in control, not being in control. I was being asked to do things that didn't suit me mm-hmm. and things were being changed at the wrong time. And I wasn't strong enough to stand up to those individuals to say, no, that's not going to happen and, and stick with what I felt was, was right for me. And so by the time the games came round, I was actually stood in the field sometimes going, shit, this, I'm in a situation now where I'm completely confused about what's right and what's wrong. When actually in the whole grand scheme of things, you're talking about kicking a ball, it's like the ball's on the floor, it's on the tee, you need to kick it through the post. Yeah, yeah. It's a fairly simple process, which I've done for hours and hours mm. and hours before. But there was a, there was a block in my head because I've, I've been told about different things to the way it should be working and what I should be doing. And... Um, Really, really difficult situation to manage, but I think it's because I was out of control and I didn't, I wasn't strong enough or brave enough to speak up and do something about it initially, and I and I wasn't brave enough to take that responsibility on myself to go right. This is the situation I'm in, and this is how I deal with it personally. And it, and it took me, it took me a little bit of time to get over that, um, because then there's this whole stigma create that that kind of came with it as well, and of course you take a lot of criticism, and which which is difficult to deal with. So um, it it just for me it was about um, getting a grip, getting a grip mentally, getting a grip um, technically, understanding what really made me tick and how I was going to get the best out of myself. Because I knew I didn't become a bad kicker overnight. I knew mm. that was that was that wasn't the case. But when you're put in situations where you're genuinely asking questions of yourself at the wrong time, it's the worst. It's the worst thing that could ever happen. And the fact that I was picked for the Lions tour that that year is an, mm. was an unbelievable shock. I should, I mean, it took four 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 halves. But when um, when I didn't kick very well against France, that that six stations was like Jesus Christ. This has been an awful awful day. Um, but it was it was a good lesson. It was a very good lesson for me and. Uh, and one that I will never ever forget. <laughs> and that was the Lions tour to New Zealand, was it? That's right. Yeah. And the, yeah, and they took it took four fly halves. And how many matches did you play in? Six matches, actually. Did you? How, uh, I, was how, involved, I, was, I was involved in six and was unbeaten in six. Um, that's I was good. on the bench for on the bench for two, I think. Started four, so, um, or three and three maybe, but. Um, yeah, I, like it was a real shock to be on that tour in the first place. But they, but he, Clive had picked a large squad. He'd picked um, basically two teams. I knew from the outset that I was going to be in the midweek team. Didn't really see much opportunity to to, to move on from that. Um, but I had opportunities to play, and myself and Ron O'Gara were the kind of the midweek um, fly halves that we. We, we had opportunities to play and, and I absolutely loved it and for me personally I had a brilliant experience 
my my performances were pretty good, played well, and like I say, we went unbeaten. So to finish that year from where it was in the Six Nations was just um, was a uh, was a was absolutely unbelievable to have that experience. So in terms of um, playing for the Lions, what what was it like? Um, you know, playing in the same team with people that you were traditionally almost your enemies or you know in rival camps did. Did people forget that very quickly? Did people come together, uh, yeah, and, and, and very much as one? You know, did you end up not thinking that Ron O'Gara was Irish and completely, know, uh, yeah, yeah, really, completely, yeah. Um, it was it's incredible actually how it, how just the the meaning of that that shirt and that badge brings you together like nothing else. Okay. And um, I knew that I had a responsibility towards that shirt and towards the other people in the team as well so regardless of where they came from it was uh it was the um, yeah it was this whole responsibility of doing doing justice for the shirt doesn't matter who's playing in it or with you it's you're trying to get the best out of out of each other and struck up good relationships with people from different countries which is like you say really interesting when you come when you consider you're playing against them a lot but um Really, really good partnership with Chris Cossetto, who's a scrum half at Scotland, yeah, yeah. for Scotland, and a little bit with Gareth Cooper, who's a Welsh scrum half. So, yeah. like, it's it's interesting how um, uh, how things like that develop. And then, probably the following season was Sale's greatest season. Yeah, we'd been we'd been building, I think, for years. To be honest, we from two thousand and two, we won the European Challenge Cup, as it was, and then we we'd been building through that period. Philippe Saint Andre came in. He brought in a bit of a French contingent, Sebastian Chabal, Sebastian Bruno. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, Lionel Four. I mean, there were some amazing, amazing players that came in, which just really strengthened our resolve. But then you top that off with the the, the academy um, players that have come through, myself, Andy Titchell, Mark Cueto, Dean Schofield, Chris Jones, Magnus Lund, Richard Wigglesworth. Like, you could reel off mm. all these players that were playing. So it was a really good mix of, of international players and academy players and this strength that Philippe brought. And we won the European Challenge Cup uh, in 2005 before that Lions tour. And then the following year, we went on to win the Premiership. We finished top of the table and went on to win the final, which um, which was just uh, an amazing, amazing achievement to, to consider where we'd come from. This sort of little little club up in the north um, was suddenly the top of the tree was was incredible. Yeah, I think you thumped Leicester Tigers in the final, which is always good by me. Uh, as, as, as a Bath fan, I have to say Leicester Tigers are my least favourite team. Uh, <laughs> yeah. so there are. Sorry, Leicester Tiger fans. Uh, I actually yeah. I have got a couple of friends who are Leicester Tiger fans, actually. So, uh. well, we we got lucky to be fair. I mean, we started off. I mean, it, the the conditions were dreadful. It was not conducive to play any sort of running rugby whatsoever. And we just got a bit lucky with the, with the start that we had. I had a crossfield kick to Mark Cueto where. He jumped in the air, but the, the ball went through his hands, but hit his back leg that went towards the try line, and he dived on the ball and scores a try. I mean, that, 99 times out of 100, that just doesn't happen, but it did on this occasion. Um, little mistakes that they that they did, we capitalised on them, and we managed to just build this lead, and then we went in at half-time with a sort of 10-15 point lead on them, which, like I say, in those conditions, there's no coming back. Yeah, oh, Mark Cueto was... Um... An incredibly unique player, I think. You know, he's, um, I think he's still sales leading try scorer of yeah. all time. Um, he's, if he was a footballer, 
he'd be one of those centre forwards that keeps scoring uh, with six six yard tap ins or something. You know, um, <laughs> you know, he just he just seemed to have that amazing ability to to score tries to sniff opportunities. You know, yeah, he did. He had this incredible knack. He knew where the try line was, but I think as well, um, he was quite underrated and that's and i say that um lightly i guess because he was quite a, mark's quite a big guy but he actually he moved incredibly well and he was quick people didn't think he was as quick as he was but uh, he was quick he moved very well but he was unbelievably competitive and unbelievably physical as well so uh, yes if you had a, you had to sniff a try out from five meters chances are you get it because he'd he'd beat the shit out of the, out the winger that was in front of him so um, just um, real good, real good um, teammate, friend, just person to be around in your team because you knew that he was also somebody else who would give everything for the for the cause um, and would never take a backward step. So uh, when it came to scoring tries, he loved it. He he because he because he's also a f- um, footballer by um, for, for, through upbringing, I guess he played a little bit for for the academy at Crew Alexander, I think, and um, so his his mentality was to score goals, and just the same was his mentality was to score tries, and I think that's what spurred him on. He just always wanted to achieve more, and and it, and it's brilliant. Yeah, it's interesting. You were talking about um, you know wishing in a way you hadn't been picked in two thousand and one for England and. Uh, and how you matured. I mean, you were, in fact, in some respects, um, you could say there were parallels also in the sort of end end of your career with Johnny Wilkinson. I mean, Johnny Wilkinson, it's slightly different. I mean, Johnny Wilkinson sort of came in like this burning supernova, um, you know, was probably the best player in the world uh, in 2003, then had, what, four years of, 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 of injury, Probably in the 2007 World Cup, I think he wasn't anywhere near his best myself. Um, and then, of course, you know, his swan song years were too long. He was just amazing. Uh, I, I think he's, you know, he's, he, arguably you could say he played his best ever rugby in too long. And mm. then I think if you take your career, um, you obviously, you, 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 you managed to get Cell Player of the Year 2008, 9 and 10, three years in a row. Um so what were you then? You were about 28 or something? So, yeah, that? 28, 29, 30. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that, that probably somewhere around there was probably the pinnacle of your, uh, of your prowess, I would think. Do you agree with that? Uh, I, think, um, I think I went through stages. I think from a, from a club point of view, that was my bread and butter. I kind of, I settled into that and that was something that I relished and loved and enjoyed and really felt I was excelling at that like the international stuff was like I said to you before I was up and down with that so that was hard to get a grasp of um but I think it's just through experience just through learning um that I I felt that I was in control I understood the game better I understood um but there's a better way of speaking to people to get the best out of them there's uh a better way of, of acting on the field to get the best out of other people. It's just an understanding the game so you can put the, your team in the right areas of the field. I think uh, that's, all it, that's what it came down to. I think um, you, you learn a lot about yourself through, that, through those formative years. 
but I, I know that I wasn't ready and that's that's just me some people are but that was just me so how how did you get to be poached by by Saracens or whatever the right way of putting it is how did that come about um, it was a mixture of things actually so following on from us winning the the final in 2006 I genuinely thought that that was going to be a sales moment to kick on and and really move forwards but the wheels seemed to start falling off when Philippe left Philippe went back to France a few, a few of the French players went back with him uh, a few players left sale and went to France as well and things just started to change and if I'm honest not necessarily for the better mm. uh, it wasn't. It, I kind of. I guess. I kind of. The squad makeup wasn't quite the same as as the, I, I was expecting it to be, really, because people were making decisions for their own careers mm. and they were moving on. It's absolutely fine. So I think I just wanted to. Um, I got to a point where I was just thinking, I need to experience. I think so, I need to experience something else. Mm. I I could have seen out my career at Sale. I think I could have stayed and. Um, but I think I'd have been sitting in my comfort zone if I had done that. I needed to explore. I needed to work with different coaches. I needed to experience a different culture, a team culture, work with different people. And uh, Saracens, Saracens came knocking. And it was just at the time of their their revolution, their new their change. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was an opportunity to to go and experience that and 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 loved and loved the, every moment of it really. So did you join them just after the sort of liner seller team? Uh, no, it was, it was it was after that. It was way after that. So yeah. they, 2011, I joined. So they had quite a big transformation. 2009, 2010, they had a big clear out of players. They brought in quite a few. Brendan Venter came in. Yeah. Uh, this big South African contingent came in. Scott Britz arrived. Jacques Berger mm. arrived. Ernst Schubert. These players, who nobody really knew about but actually became household names here in the Premiership in the UK because they became unbelievable players for, for Saracens. And um, so that whole transformation started. That first year when everything had been switched around, I think they got to the Premiership final and lost in the last minute to Leicester. And then the following year, they got to the final in 2011 and won. Uh, they beat Leicester again when Leicester were camped on their line for um, about 18, 19 phases, about six minutes of time, well, probably longer than that, but six minutes of yeah. extra time. Which they went on to win, and then so I joined that following season with a team that had was just starting to motor. I mean, they just won the final, but I think they probably exceeded their own expectations to even be there. And uh, and that and I just and for, yeah, unfortunately, when I arrived, 2012 season, we got beaten in the semi-final. 2013, I think we got beaten in the semi-final again. 2014, we lost in the final. I mean, we just we were these sort of nearly runs. We never never quite made it, and then eventually in 2015, we we won. And uh, and of course, they've, they've had the, the success since. So, was Glenn Jackson the fly half before you? Yeah, Jacko left the year I arrived. Yeah, he was a great player. I, I really loved him. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, he's a great referee now. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, amazing to see that he's he's transferred all that into into refereeing. Obviously, he has a very good understanding of the game, and has been able to transfer that across into refereeing department, which I think is an incredible skill to do. Yeah, I think um, it was it was very smart if, uh, of Venter because um, you know when I think of you and uh, when I think of you and Glenn Jackson, you know you you think about intelligence. You know, you're thinking mm. about 
you know, I, 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 I personally like to see intelligence in a rugby player. Uh, you know, I, I, I would personally, if I was a, a top coach, I, I wouldn't, I, I would drop anybody that kicked the ball in the 25, personally. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm serious. I, 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 does my head in. Um, and I, and I can't abide stupid players, you know. Yeah. I just don't, for me, you know, having this idiotic prop that gives away three penalties every match is just, you know, it's just soul destroying for the rest of the players, isn't it? <laughs> You're talking about anybody in particular. I think you know who I mean. <laughs> <laughs> so you actually, to be fair, you um, so Martin Johnson. This is probably a, a, another discussion to have with you. Um, Martin Johnson became the England coach, mm. and and he and he um, and he selected you. He didn't actually. Didn't he? No, he didn't. I thought 2010 no. you came back. So he became coach actually in 2008. Oh, okay. Uh, we we had a we had a New Zealand tour of, New, of yeah New, 2008 summer. We went to New Zealand for two tests. He'd just taken the job on, but chose to sort of start that role as soon as the tour had finished. I think he probably knew the writing was on the wall before we went because <laughs> we got battered by by New Zealand. Um, and, and then that that first squad that he picked, I wasn't in, and it took okay. me took me a long time to really get back in the team if I'm honest I don't really think I got back in the team until until um, Stuart Lancaster came in after that World Cup of 2011 I played little bits here and there but the I, I really I really struggled to get into the team I, th- I don't know what you think I think um, Martin Johnson uh, deserved to be persevered with uh, as the coach in my view you any feeling he sorry say that again I think Martin Johnson deserved for for the selectors to, to persevere with him rather more than they did. You know, I think he was sort of he was seen as the great hope, wasn't he? You know, he was the, mm. probably the greatest captain of all time, I would say. Yeah, uh, it's it's a really difficult situation, I think, because he hadn't he didn't have any coaching experience before, and it was you kind of look at it and go, was he there to coach or was he there to, to manage and oversee the whole process? And by having the right people in place, perhaps, um, perhaps things would have would have been better for him. I don't know. I just I don't know what the answer is to that. He was inexperienced. I think, like you say, perhaps deserved a little more time um, to embed himself into the team. But unfortunately, he was at the top, and he he went after that World Cup in 2011, didn't he? So I don't know. So you retired from international rugby in 2012, uh, and then you had a great last four years. I think you retired in sixteen, did you? That's right. Yeah. What 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 sort of was the catalyst to make you retire in the end? Was it pain or? Do you, do you know what it was? It was probably because I was not necessarily pushed, but um, I think it was more a case of the writing was on the wall. I was I I had plenty of conversations with Stuart Lancaster about the future of that team and where that was going, and I was not I wasn't really a part of that. So did I have to retire? Probably not. I wouldn't have been picked anyway. So I don't think it, I don't think it really made any difference. The fact that I retired or I didn't. Um, it seems a bit weird retiring from international rugby when you're not really a, a, a mainstay of that team. Um, and it, and I suppose I look back and think, did, did it really need to happen? Did I really need to make an announcement? I didn't really, because I wasn't going to get picked anyway. But um, the the future of that team was was Owen. And and Toby flood to a point, but then he then he dropped out of the squad. So, and then George Ford obviously came in. So, the future was um, for me 
I think for me, my role initially in that Six Nations of 2012 was about stabilisation, um, about making sure that things were done right and being in control of that situation at that moment. And then it was time to move on. So it was a very, it was a, I was a stopgap if I'm honest, but uh, I, I don't get me wrong, I enjoyed it. Uh, it's a nice stopgap to have, but mm. um, I, I certainly don't think I was part of future plans going forward. So you were 36 when you gave up rugby, is that right? That's right, yeah. Um, and how did you feel about that? Was it something you were very sad about, or relief, or what? Which was which was more? True? Yeah, a little, a little bit of a little bit of everything, actually. Uh, I think in in my head, I could carry on, no problem. But actually, in my body, physically, my body was switching off, and and unless you get unless you get a proper run of games for me to build up you know, my physical resilience to the game. I just pick up like little injuries here and there, and I could never quite yeah. maintain the form that I wanted. And so it was, it was also a mixture of so it was a mixture of sort of physically not being in a good place, but also um, an opportunity that Saracens provided. They said, "Look, why don't you stay? We've got this role in scouting recruitment where you can start to think about the next generation coming through. Would that would that be something of interest?" And, I, and at that stage, I didn't really have any any thoughts about what next uh, I really hadn't um, given it a lot of thought or well, I had I'd spent plenty of time worrying about it but not really um, done anything about it initially and so it, they, the opportunity came to do that and obviously my, my body starting to break down I was thinking do you know what this is the right time to, to go and yeah look back it's of course it's, it's sadness because you you're finishing something that that you absolutely love doing I would have play rugby for a hobby never mind getting paid for it so um to have that taken away from you when it's been such a, a big mm. part of my life was 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 difficult and uh if i'm honest i think i still think it's taking time to adapt now i'm three years down the line but i still i still miss it i definitely miss it so how did you get to go to a london irish uh i was just invited i got had a phone call from nick kennedy and he said look we've got this opening to do some kicking with the players would you be interested okay i think i think in in nick's heart of hearts he was probably hoping that i would have joined on a more full-time permanent basis uh but for me that wasn't the, the right time i i enjoyed coaching i love I, I i love coaching that's what i do now but i um rugby coaching full-time rugby coaching wasn't the right way to go for, for a number of reasons but um it was it was time to think about something else. Time to move away from the game a little bit more. Okay, so as we um, as we sort of get to the last few minutes of this uh, interview, um, it'd be good to talk about your new career, uh, where you've taken uh, all that experience and knowledge of life and and also success. I think, which is um, incredibly important. It's funny. I did a a show on Friday, uh, which was called the Entrepreneurial Journey. Uh, and one of the things I was actually saying was that uh, my background in sport, which was quite a high achieving background, I think has stood me in very good stead as a businessman. I think mm. um, I'm very good at working out how to win. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I think also, um, I think you can tell sort of ex-rugby players by, by their personalities, how they uh, collaborate with other people, probably. Yeah. The trust they engender, those sort of things. Yeah, are these all things that you can relate to? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think um, certainly starting this career of, of business coaching, 
has uh, has not been an easy one, and it's certainly not an easy one now. There's, uh, but I think it's the lessons that I've learned through my career and and dealing with setbacks and dealing with adversity and and dealing with situations that you don't necessarily want to be in. You actually just accept that that's just that they're there and that's just going to happen, and you move on. And and like you say, you you find you find a way. You somehow find a way of doing doing a little bit different and, and keep working out and and showing that resilience that that you need as a as a as a sportsman or woman really. And so that's kind of how I operate myself. Uh, the way I work now. So you now live in Hertfordshire. Uh, yeah. So we five have children. Yeah, five kids. I went for a fourth and we had two come along at the end. Oh, okay. A brave man. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was a shock, I must admit, but uh, a lovely shock as well. Like they're, Good. They're, the twins are a, they're a force of nature, but they're, um, they're brilliant. How old are they now? Uh, so the kids now are 12, 10, 8 and 5. Uh, you have my commiserations. I'm very pleased to have, <laughs> I'm very pleased to have finished off my fatherly duties, uh, I, I, I have to say. So you, Do they ever finish? No, well, I've, I've, I've now got uh, my first granddaughter, which is uh, rather wonderful. So, uh, oh, wow. so that's really nice. Um, yes, yeah, so you've got a very interesting coaching business. It's not like a conventional, you know, your normal conventional uh, uh, way of coaching. You you use fitness, don't you? I have been doing that actually, but coronavirus has kind of put a stop to it. So it's been. Um... It's not been the best timing, and I will, I will certainly will start to use it for uh, moving forwards. But there's there's method behind the madness of using exercise with people to coach because it's not about making people fitter. The the idea of any sort of coaching is to create awareness in people, create self awareness in people, to help them learn about themselves. And quite often, when you have a conversation with somebody, uh, there's a, often a temptation to lie or to say what they think they should be saying. Um, just to almost pacify the situation that they're in. When actually, when you're exercising, you can't be thinking about something that's happened 10 minutes ago or something that may happen in 10 minutes. You are in the moment, and we all have a default reaction in that moment. So by using exercise, putting people in, in, in situations that create um, pressure, create stress for people, it actually um, creates that self-awareness, and so they're able to then reflect on what that looks like back in the office. So if they're met with somebody who's confrontational, what does that do for them? And how does that impact relationships moving forward? Um, so it's a different way of working. Uh, it's not the only way of working now, of course, because of the way coronavirus is and we're, we're virtual. So I'm, I'm currently uh, creating an, an online platform, an online program oh, to brilliant. be able to roll people, uh, which is quite close to, to completion. So, um, so yeah, it's all, it's all change. And like I say, you find a way to win if uh, this coronavirus has, has forced me to rethink and relook at what I do and, and how do I help people now. So for me, it's, there's, a, there's an online offering. So if anyone's watching uh, this interview today, and hopefully there'll be many thousands, um, can, they, can they book you? Can they, can they have Charlie Hodgson as their coach? Yeah, um, well, if, if you're obviously going to drop the, the, the contact details, then I'm more than happy to have a conversation with people to work out where the challenges are, it's for, for people who um, I think struggle with the expectation of pressure of, of life and work and it's how do you balance every single thing that's going on when it's so chaotic at the moment, we feel like we're on the whole time. How do we switch off from that and how do we deal with that pressure and, and how do we deal with that, with that response? Um, 
so for me it's about helping people get under the skin of those of those pressure points and and helping them move forward so they can find more success in what they do whatever that is so um if anyone's watching this today and they would like to um to uh to get in touch with charlie um they can uh see the link that will be following this or um they can contact the uh the friends of aspen weight program uh, which is friends at aspen-weight.co.uk um so i have to say young charlie um that was a, a I, I, well that's really really enjoyable actually very almost quite intense uh <laughs> I, I feel i feel like i could write a book about you now it was uh I think you know. Thank you for so you so um, you know, for being so open and um, uh, you know and, and and putting up with was 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 a load of questions you probably didn't want to, want to have to answer. But um, no, it's uh, a pleasure. Thanks for having you're, me. You're really good. So um, I wish you the enormous success in your career. I don't think you need to be wished any luck because I think you'll you'll do it for yourself. But um, it's been uh, a pleasure meeting you and getting to know you a bit better. And hopefully. Um, I've many happy times ahead, many times happy times ahead, and uh, look forward to getting to know you better. And all the best. Perfect. Thanks, Charlie. Thank you. Thank you so Thanks. much. Thanks, man. Take care.